this morning expecting a massive move of God because I believe there's no moment that's wasted. There's no situation that's wasted uh, when we come in God's presence and just worship Him for who He is and what He's got for us. And so this morning, if you want to or if you could, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. It's where we're going to start this morning. And, and Jude, I apologize. I forgot to mention I have some extra slides this morning, so you just have to keep up with me. <laughs> I forgot to, to warn. But, uh, but I got some pretty slides for you. They're not original to me. They were pre-made, so it'll, it'll help us kind of stay together this morning. But uh, this morning we're going to start a five-part series called Who's Your One? Last week we wrapped up our summer series uh, uh, entitled This Is Us. Um, Ending on evangelism, what evangelism meant for us, why it's important for us, who we evangelize, how we evangelize, and the very message that we evangelize to those people that we are seeking around us. And so I feel like that was just such a great kind of uh, precursor to move into this series, because what this series is about is it, ab- is it, ab- it is about us finding that one person in our life. You know, evangelism can be very overwhelming when we're thinking about all the lost around us, all those who are distant from God around us, and we begin to think, well, how, how, and who, and what? And, uh, you know, the, the challenge in this series is leaning into that one person, that one person that you have influence with, that one person that you know, that one person that you interact with, and you're committing to a year, a year of pouring into that relationship in prayer, and discipleship, and just love and concern, just pouring into that relationship with everything you have, with the hope and celebration that a year from now we'll stand together and and celebrate that person being a child of God, sitting at the seat of God's table that He's invited them to. And so, uh, you know, we've started some different things, and I'll kind of reference them at the end with our devotion and the series, all these things kind of feeding into this idea and, uh, and this morning, we're going to kind of start within where we are, because the, before we can step out and start making disciples for Jesus, we have to evaluate the status of our discipleship in Christ, who we are. And, uh, and, and so a lot of times, you know, when you hear a word and when you think about something, uh, you associate certain things with that word, right? And so when you think about athletes, you associate certain features or for certain uh, abilities with them. Or when you think about certain foods, you associate certain tastes or certain certain textures or certain experiences with those things. Um, And so whenever you think about the word Christian, just what comes to your mind right off the bat? You know, for some of us, it's very dependent on the different different experiences we have with with Christians, maybe the different uh, uh, interactions we've had or different things. So depending on our experiences with Christianity, we will have different thoughts that come to mind when we think of the word Christian. You know, and, and far too often, unfortunately, the word Christian is associated with very negative connotations, or the word Christian is, is caricatured in some ways, or, or exaggerated uh, to the point of really elevating its negativity. I, I was watching a show the, uh, this past week, um, and they were kind of this isn't a Christian show at all, but uh, in this show, they were kind of showing this Christian event, and the way that they were portraying it uh, was embarrassing. But that's the way they view us, right? That's the world, the way the world views Christians. It was very just empty. It was very cheesy. It was just very just it was very shallow the way they were presenting it. But that's how when the world thinks of Christians, in a lot of ways, that's what they see. That's what they imagine. They imagine these shallow, just empty, hypocritical people that do these things just because they're told to. They are, they're mindless. They, they, they don't know why they do it. I was Googling uh, Christians are on Google the other day, and uh, the first thing that popped up is Christians are weaklings. 
No, because the world believes that Christians use God as a crutch just to make it through life, right? But what our responsibility is in the midst of that, and what I hope that we'll kind of cover this morning as far as evaluating ourselves and evaluating the state of, of, of our faith, is that our job is to convey clarity about Christianity. Our job is to bring clarity to what Christianity truly is and what that means. And that when people think of Christians, it can be something more than the derogatory. Because in reality, and we've talked about this before, when the Bible mentions the word Christian, the first time in the book of Acts, it is not mentioned in a way that is encouraging. The way that the word Christian was used in biblical context was actually used as a derogatory term. It was used to describe the people who were following Christ, but the people who used it were not the Christians. The people on the outside are the ones who used the word Christian to describe them because what the word Christian meant was little Christ. And so they were mocking those people who were following Jesus by calling them Christians. What the Bible tells us is that the Christian, this isn't a ploy to stop calling ourselves Christians. Don't hear that. But what I want us to hear is that the meat of what that means is really focused in and really empowered by the word disciple. The Bible uses the word and the, the people of God use the word disciple to describe who they were, to describe what they were doing, to describe what they were about. You know, and, and the word disciple is used in the New Testament 281 times comparatively to the word Christian used twice. The people who followed Jesus, they called themselves disciples. And so what is a disciple? Basically, a disciple is a student, okay? Because we can know, you know, and the, the idea of this is that, that there, are, there may be a lot of people who call themselves Christians but are not disciples. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians that they kind of, where they carry this title, but there's a difference. Christians carry a title, but disciples, disciples make a difference. Because basically, a disciple is a student. But even more so from that, what we'll see this morning, what a disciple truly is. And so what is a disciple? I feel like this is the best illustration to kind of show us what a disciple is, because this is what they would have seen a disciple at. Uh, all Hebrew boys at the age of five, they would have went to Torah school, where they learned the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses. They would have learned these books. They would have tried to memorize these books. And so at the age of five, they would begin that. At the age of 10, they would begin to be weeded out. Okay, the weak ones would be weeded out. Those who, who just couldn't hack it, just couldn't cut it, uh, learning the books, books of the law and all these things. Uh, if they couldn't cut it, they were weeded out so that only the best would be left. And then the best that were left from those 10-year-olds would be used to learn. They would, they would learn the rest of the Old Testament. Okay, they would be given the rest of the Old Testament and begin to learn that from memory. At the age of 17, to continue this path, they had to find a rabbi. Okay, a rabbi was just a very esteemed religious leader in the Jewish community. So they had to find a rabbi and they would apply to become that rabbi's disciple. They would apply to become that rabbi's disciple, to become his student, to sit at his feet and to be tested by that rabbi. They would follow, they would learn from them, and they would be imitating them, become, becoming more and more like them. And so these, these little 17-year-old men, they would come and they would apply to become a, a student of this rabbi. And under this rabbi, they would not only learn from them, but they would try to become just like them. The way that they do things, the way that they say things, the way that they act, everything they do, they would try to emulate that rabbi. 
And then it was that rabbi's responsibility to choose people to be their disciples who they thought could be just like them. And the highest compliment that they could have, I thought this was a cool, cool little uh, phrase, the highest compliment that they could have as a disciple of the rabbi would be for someone to say to them, the dust of your rabbi was on you. That the dust of your rabbi was on you. That, that everything about your rabbi just covered you. That it came from you. And so this morning, what we'll see, because all through the Bible, you know, Jesus is called teacher. He's called rabbi. He's called these different things. So they saw Jesus as this esteemed religious teacher, not knowing that he was truly the son of God, even when they they knew that he was something special. And so as we see in Matthew chapter four, we're going to see this moment when Jesus makes an invitation to these people. And we're going to know that they knew that there was something special about him, even if they didn't understand everything about him. Even on their level, what they would have known They'll see something special in him. And so what I hope that we'll see this morning in in kind of the same context, that as Jesus has called us, we see who we are as disciples, and we see the value in inviting others into that context. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 18 through 22. Let's read together. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20 says, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James and Zon, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, I pray that you speak to us through your text, through your words. God, what you have for us. God, challenge us as disciples. God, challenge us for seeking those who you've called to be disciples, Lord. And God, help us. God, help us to walk in an on earth as it is in heaven type way. God, understanding who we are and who you are and what you've called us to. Father God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, the first thing that I want us to see this morning is that those who God calls as disciples, He doesn't choose the best, He chooses the willing. That He doesn't choose the best, that He chooses the willing. Look here in verse verse 18. It says, While walking by the sea to Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And so Jesus, walking in this area, he sees these two men. He sees these two men. And what are they doing? It says that they're fishing. Okay, it says that they are fishing. And what does he do? It says that he invites them. He invites them in. And so what I want us to see from this morning, okay, as we look at ourselves as disciples, as we look to those outside of ourselves who would be invited in to be disciples, is that he's not choosing the best, he's choosing the willing. He sees these men doing a very normal job, doing a very uh, just ultimately nobody's type of, of people. That Jesus chooses, this is right after Jesus has been baptized, right after Jesus has gone into the wilderness and been tempted. This is the very first acts of his ministry. He steps out and he invites nobodies to help him build his kingdom on earth. He invites nobodies. What qualification did they have other than it says that they left and they followed? 
Church, God isn't looking for the best to be his disciples. He's looking for those who are willing to step into the work that he has. You got that, Sean? <laughs> we got you. He's looking for the willing. He's looking for those who would step away. He's not looking for the elite. He's not looking for those who have personal power or potential that is visible. You know, we have to understand that in this context, there were some very intelligent, very wealthy, very capable people that existed in this time. The nation of, of the, the, the nation of Egypt was just booming. They were just they were creating. They were doing things that were far beyond their time. The Roman Empire, uh, they still have structures that are visible today. The, the architecture and the things that they did, the minds that they had in those cultures, the philosophers, the business men, the teachers, the religious leaders, all of these people who would have been much more capable and much more uh, uh, usable in this situation to spread and to build the kingdom of God up. Jesus passed over all of those people to lean into the lives of two or four fishermen we'll see here and begin to build his kingdom. They weren't qualified. They were willing Jesus didn't come to them for their abilities, church. He came for what he would do through them. He came to use their willingness to do something amazing. He came and sought the least capable, the least knowledgeable. They weren't teachers. They weren't rabbis. They weren't religious leaders. He's seeking willing vessels. Willing to open themselves up to the work of God to be used for his purpose. There is more power in one believer with the power of God dwelling in them than an army of individuals working on their own. Because of the truth of the matter is, is that it's not how able I am, but it's how available I am. It's not how able you are, but how available you are to the work of God in your life. God wants to use each and every one of us. God wants you. That's why... Man, all throughout the Bible, and I feel like we miss this, and then we constantly question ourselves, and we think to ourselves, I'm just not good enough, I don't know enough, I can't do enough. But the entire Bible, the entire movement of the Christian church, the, the, the work of Christ in this world is built on the backs of weak, broken people who messed up constantly. Peter's the first person that Jesus calls to join him in ministry, and Peter is one of the first to bail on Christ when Christ is being crucified. Jesus knew Peter was going to bail on him, that he was going to deny him, that people would come to Peter and say, hey, aren't you that guy that followed Jesus? And Peter was like, I don't know that guy. I don't follow him. Peter would react in emotion and anger and chop off the ear of a, of a soldier coming to arrest Jesus, and Jesus would have to rebuke him there again. I mean, Peter constantly failed, and Peter was one of the first that Jesus invited into the work that he had. He would later, he would call Paul a murderer, a hypocrite, a prideful individual that God would break in a single moment and use for a massive movement of his. It's not how able you are, it's how available you are. Are you willing to be used by God to reach people in your life for Jesus? To share the gospel with them and invite them to take a seat at the table that God's prepared for them. So not only does he doesn't choose the best, but he chooses the willing. The second thing this morning is that God chose us, not we him. God chose us, 
not we him. In verse 19, it says, and he said to them, follow me, follow me. See, remembering in our context of the situation of how this worked in, uh, in this religious status is that a rabbi would choose their disciple, right? That they would, they would apply, they would be with them, and they would decide whether they would move on or not. And so for them to see Jesus, knowing who Jesus was, knowing what Jesus has done, for Jesus to come to them and to say, hey, follow me. Because they would have looked at Jesus, whether they knew he was the Son of God or not, they knew that Jesus was something special. From the age of 12, he, he was already correcting religious teachers. He had already memorized the whole Old Testament, the whole Old Law. Like he, he was just special and they knew that. And so for them to be chosen by him. It brought a sense of confidence and affirmation to be chosen by the rabbi. To be in that process to make the cut. That means that, I, I, that for them, they would have said, I don't know what he sees in me, but he sees something in me because he chose me. He wouldn't have chose me if he didn't see something in me. And that's why, that's why I loved when we were going through the book of Ephesians and, and Paul constantly reiterated this fact that he chose us before the foundation of the earth. That in our choosing, we are walking in his choosing, that he's chosen, that he's established. And that if we come to a place in our life where we choose Christ, then we can know and walk in the confidence that I choose him because he first chose me. That he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. He saw an ability that he could use to meet uh, somebody's need. To step into somebody's life and share the gospel. Inviting them to the table to know Jesus. To walk with Jesus. To live in the promises and the comfort and the faithfulness of God. And so there was a confidence in knowing. And Paul continuously reiterated this in Ephesians 1.4. He says that he chose us. That you have to remember that he chose you. That any choosing you did of him was because he had first chosen you. There's a sense of confidence that walks, that we have to walk in that as disciples. That as a disciple of Jesus, that you can live fearlessly and confidently knowing that he chose you first. And that it doesn't matter what comes against you, that you can know that he chose you first. Philippians 1.6, my favorite verse. This verse has just kept me going so many times. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Jesus says that I will pursue the purpose and the plan I have for you, and he will do it through us. That is not in my ability, it's not in my talent, but it's in my willingness to allow God to use me because he chose to use me. Because the biggest problem with us, church, the biggest problem that we have is that it's not losing confidence in Jesus as disciples. It's losing confidence in the promise of Jesus. You know, Peter in Matthew 14, we see him, Jesus invites him out on the water. Peter says, can I come out? And Jesus invites him out on the water. And so Peter begins to walk out on the water. And as he gets out there, he begins to see the sea uh, and the waves and everything. He begins to get fearful. And as he begins to sink, he says, Lord, save me. So we know that he didn't lose faith in Jesus because he said, Jesus, say, he, he knew Jesus could save him. He said, Lord, save me. But what happened was he, he forgot the promises of Jesus' provision to help him walk that way. So a lot of times we don't lose faith in Jesus. We lose faith in the promises of Jesus. We lose faith in the fact that if we're a disciple this morning that Jesus chose you. 
that there are those this morning that have not walked in his choosing. That he's inviting them to. Because we're fearful, we're fearful of our abilities, we're fearful of what he can do with us, we're fearful of, of, of his promises, we're not confident in them. You know, and a lot of times as individuals in our lives, that's the case, is that we're not confident in his promises. We're confident in Jesus. I believe Jesus can do all kinds of things. A lot of times in my life, I'd think if Jesus was the parent to my kids, then, then he'd be killing it, Right? If Jesus was the pastor of the church, they'd be killing it. If Jesus was the worship leader, if Jesus was my spouse, if Jesus was my employer, if Jesus was the employee in my workplace, if Jesus was the principal to Quincy High School, he'd be killing it. He'd be doing it. But Jesus said, he said, I want to use you. Jesus said, I, I want to do the work through you. Jesus said, I will make you the parent you need to be. I will make you the spouse you need to be. I will make you the employee you need to be. Jesus very easily could step into any of our situations and do them a million times better than we ever could. But he chooses not to do that. He chooses to use us. He chooses to use us, individuals, to reach our lost families, to be a witness in our workplaces, to change our habits and our sinful desires, being willing to allow him to step into our sinfulness and to begin to change us. He wants to use us for that change. Jesus could easily strip away any sinful desire we have for anything. But what does he want us to do? The same thing Paul tells Timothy. He says, flee. There's an active state at which we participate in that, that very thing that he's called us to. The very same thing with evangelism. Jesus could save every person in our family if he wanted to, but he's going to use you to do it. He wants to use individuals, to reach individuals to do the things that he has. And that's been his MO through the entire Bible. First John 4, 4, it says, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It's the one who is in you. Second Timothy 2, 13, it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Isaiah 46, 11, he says, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of the, my counsel from a far country says, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Jesus does the choosing. Jesus does the work. He just calls us to be willing. He's invited us into that. Whether we're adults this morning or our, or our kids, our, our kids can be evangelists. Our kids, man, you guys can, can reach into the circles and the spaces around you and, and share Jesus with people. And you don't have to be the best. You just have to be willing And that you can walk in the confidence to know that he chose you for that work. When he chose you, he had a plan. And none of it had anything to do with your ability or your talents. He chose you because he has a plan. And we walk in the confidence of his abilities. The next thing this morning is that our primary calling as disciples, if you're a disciple this morning, our primary calling is to be with him. Our primary calling is to be with him. Verse 19, he said to them, follow me. Follow me. He called them to follow with no assignment, with no explanation. Their instruction wasn't to do something. It was to, but to become like him, to be with me as disciples. If we're a Christian, a disciple of Jesus this morning, just like the disciples of these kids as they would grow up, their, their goal was to become more like their rabbi. As disciples this morning, our encouragement, our instruction is to become more like Jesus. He says, follow me. Don't follow lesser things. Don't give yourself over to lesser things. He says, follow me. Follow me. 
You know, that's us drawing near to him, being in his presence mentally by prayer and devotion, physically by worshiping and engaging in spiritual conversations, drawing near to him. But church, the the reality is, is that to become like him, you have to know him. To know him, you have to spend time with him, soaking up every moment, soaking up every word that he has for us, soaking up every every opportunity that we get to stand in the presence of God in this cafeteria building this morning, that we soak up every ounce of it, every bit of who God is, until it dominates your thoughts, until it dominates our decisions, until it dominates everything that we do, saturating our lives in a way that leads us to be affected by the work of God and to be effective for the work of God. That our calling is to be with Him, And church, the main thing that we have to understand is that you can't know Jesus any more than you know his word. And God's word is such a beautiful revelation of who Jesus is and what he's done. And it constantly will remind us and bring us back to this idea of knowing our identity, bringing us back to this idea of knowing our purpose, bringing this back to this idea that as you begin to lean in and pray for your one, as you begin to pray for them and you get disappointed by the way that they live, that you continue to push through it and you pray persistently and consistently and and, and just continue to pour into those relationships that as a disciple in yourself, as you fall and you walk and you, you meet sinful situations that entrap you and that trip you up, that you carry on and know that when I am faithless, God is faithful and that God doesn't give up on me. God doesn't forsake me because I failed him. Because he didn't choose me because he knew I wouldn't fail him. He chose me because he knew he wouldn't fail to bring glory to his name through me. He's invited us to walk in that confidence, to walk with him, to be with him, to be more like him, to be soaking up every bit of who he is. That's why we get in his word. That's why we do devotions. That's why we pray. That's why we worship openly together. That's why we sing songs. That's why we serve our community. That's why we do those things to soak up who he is, because he's, he's involved and he's invested in all those things. So when we do those things, we are engaging and embracing who Christ is and we're becoming more like him in that process. Not only are we called to be with him, but the next thing this morning is that to follow him, we have to leave it all. To follow him, we have to leave it all. Verse 19 and verse 22, verse 19 says, he says that they left their boat It says immediately they left their nets and they followed him down into verse 22. When it's the next group of guys, James and John, it says that they immediately left their boat. They left their father and they followed him. You know, their boat being their careers. Okay, this is how they provided for themselves. And it says the second guys, it says that they left their fathers. You know, this is the kind of the, the most significant relationship in their life. And for us, it could be that same process. You know, because in reality, our careers and our relationships Those things in our life can be our biggest platform or they can be our greatest distractions. You know, but because they're the most tangible things in our lives, our careers and our relationships, they're the most tangible things that we do. The work that we do provides for our families and those families are our relationships. And so everything we do really is based around that very process and that very life. But those things can either be our platform or they can be our distraction. If we bring Christ into it, if Christ is the intention, Christ is the center, he says that he will lead us into provision. He says that he will provide for our families. He will make us the husbands and wives and all those things that we need to be. 
But it's because he's the center. It's because he's the center of who we are and what we do. Seeing the value of, of our relationship with Jesus and our desire to follow him being supreme in our motivation and our life. That Jesus is supreme. That he says that we'd be willing to leave it all behind to follow him. You know, when the Bible tells us, uh, when it says that you have to, in comparison, hate your mother and father the way that you love Jesus, it's not necessarily telling us that we've, we actually should hate anyone, but in comparison, in the way that we love and pour out and adore Jesus, that those other relationships would fall under the umbrella of that, but not be the supreme thing in that. And I love that it said, it said that they dropped it all. You know, because the reality is most of you, most of you won't have to quit your job to follow Jesus. But for a lot of us, our jobs can become our Jesus. You know, most of us won't lose any, won't have to sacrifice a relationship to follow Jesus. Most of us here, people around the world do every day. But most of us here will never have to sacrifice a relationship to follow Jesus. But in your following Jesus, relationships may change. I know that's been the case in my life. That may be case, the case in your life as you begin to follow Jesus. Those relationships may shift and change. If, if, if desires and things don't line up, those things may happen. So for most of us, our lives may not be as dramatic as theirs. But you will have moments where you'll have to decide. What holds greater importance or influence and value in your life and in your family's lives? And stop letting lesser things be the driving force of your life. We have to allow Jesus to be that driving force. That as a disciple, we walk and talk in a way that is driven by Jesus. And not by lesser things. Not by lesser things that will disappoint us. Not by lesser things that will let us down. And then the last thing this morning is that he commands us to reproduce spiritually. He commands us to reproduce spiritually. He commands us as disciples that if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, He calls us to reproduce. And that if we are not reproducing, then we have to question our status as disciples. That that's what He's called us to. That is the very essence of who we are. If we are mimicking our rabbi, who is Jesus, He is the ultimate multiplier, right? He started out with, with four and then he would grow to 12 and then he would grow to thousands and then he would create an empire. He would create a kingdom on earth from just reaching people, from just interacting with weak, broken individuals and empowering them through the Spirit of God to do a work of God. That very same thing that he's given each and every disciple in here this morning, the ability to do. He has empowered you and given you the ability to multiply. It's up to us as individuals, to step into that work. To begin leaning into people's lives. To begin multiplying. To begin seeing what God has done. I forget who said this, but, but I love this quote. It says, Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. Multiplication, reproducing, is not something Jesus does. It's what we all do. This is not strictly for the religious elite. Because that's not who Jesus chose to do this work. He chose fishermen. He chose men and women with respectable jobs, normal people, to, to do extraordinary things 
through His power to multiply, to reproduce, to spread this message, to love on people, to share this message with people. John 15, 8, it says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. He says, By bearing fruit you show that you are my disciple. By bearing fruit you show that you are mine. Matthew uh, 28, 19, he says, there, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The words baptize and teach are participles here. They are driven by the one verb in this sentence. The one verb is make disciples. That everything we do for the kingdom of God is coming from this, this, this plan, this desire to see people be discipled for Christ, to see people invited into the kingdom of God, to see people take a seat at the table of Jesus. That that is the driving force behind everything that we do. That's why we preach. That's why we teach. That's why we sing. That's why we do kids. That's why we, we, do, we do service projects. That's why we do everything we do is from the motivation of making disciples. Evangelizing the world around us. That's why we do those things. Seeking and saving the lost is exactly what Jesus said he came to do. That should be our daily motivation. Seeking and saving the lost. And what this series is about is it's about focusing in on one person. Focusing all your attention, all your energy on one person for this very task. A man named Robert Coleman, an author, wrote this. He said, When will the church learn this lesson? Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism. Nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers do this job. Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something, but someone. All God's called us to do to disciple individuals is to lean into their lives and show them love, show them Jesus through His Scripture and through the way that we act and the way that we live. That's simply how we disciple people. We try to make it so complicated and so formulaic, but in reality, it's just about investing in individuals. Sharing with them the hope of life that you have in Jesus Christ. Sharing that with them. Investing that in them. So, so what, what do we do? What do we do this morning? You know, as we kind of begin to move into this space where I pray that we can kind of evaluate who we are and where we are, I'm going to ask Landon to kind of come up and, and, and kind of get us into that space. And we're going to sing a little bit at the end. But this is the biggest question this morning as we move forward. Because we can't disciple people if we're first not disciples ourselves. Before we're walking as disciples of Jesus. And so the biggest thing we have to evaluate this morning is, are you a disciple? And if you are a disciple, are you walking as a disciple, living as a disciple, submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, following Him, engaging Him in the work of disciples? Because like we said in the beginning, the greatest compliment a young disciple of an esteemed rabbi would be is that the dust of your rabbi is on you, that who your rabbi is is all over you, that the way you act is how he acted. The way that you do things is the way that he did things. The things that you say are the things he said. The way that he loved people is the way that you love people. The way that he worshipped is the way that you worship. The way that he was faithful is the way that you are faithful. Church, I pray that as a disciple, as a Christian this morning, that the thing that people can say about us most is that the dust of your rabbi is all over you. That who Jesus is is who you are. That it's not perfect that it might not always be consistent but it's intentional and that it's purposeful and that it's, it's, it's passionate and that our desire is to be more like our rabbi that we would be at his feet 
learning from Him, soaking up everything we have from Him, letting Him teach us and show us and instruct us in the way that we live our lives as husbands and wives, as employees, employers, as individuals, as worshipers, as disciples. <laughs> that we would be nothing less than weak, just broken people down at His feet saying, Rabbi, what do you have for me? to know that there's no greater confidence than to know that your rabbi has chosen you. That if you're a disciple this morning, he has chosen you. That he saw you as worthy. That he saw you as valuable. That he saw you as usable for his kingdom. Not through your own abilities and talents, but through his abilities and talents through you. Jesus wants to do that with each and every one of us. And that people could say about us that the dust of your rabbi is on you. That you look like Jesus and that as a disciple that we go through different phases that we go through these three different phases and the gospel kind of reveals these phases to us and it's three phases it's a come and see phase it's a come and die phase and a go and tell phase all of us experience the come and see a lot of you even this morning you may be here in the come and see phase where you're just hearing an invitation this is who Jesus is this is what Jesus does this is what John the Baptist was doing in the beginning of John chapter 1. He was inviting people to come and see who Jesus is. But then we move from a come and see phase into a come and die phase where Jesus would say in John 12, he said, whoever loves his life, uh, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor he says, lose your life. So the invitation after we've come and saw is to come and die. Lay down your life and die to be born again into a new life. But the next phase, the next step that we have to take as disciples is go and tell. But for too many of us as disciples, we're, we're stuck and we're stagnant and we're staying in the come and see phase. We just keep coming and seeing. I'm just coming week after week to see. I just want to see what he's got. I want to see what's going on. I want to see what he's got to offer me. I want to see what I can take in. Too often we're staying in the come and see when God has been consistently and constantly inviting you to first off come and die. Lay down your selfishness. Stop thinking about yourself and what you can get. He says, go and tell that there are individuals in your life that desperately need to hear the gospel from you. I, I confidently believe in the doctrine of election, but there is a, 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 there is a place where election and evangelism cross and where it's dependent on you to share with somebody else the gospel of Jesus. That there is a dependence on you to evangelize, to share with people who Jesus is and what he's done because I believe even in the doctrine of election and God's choosing that as we begin to step into his work we begin to align with God's will for the lives of people and that we begin to speak into their lives what they need and then they begin to walk in that need and they begin to live in the confidence of being a disciple of Jesus church our responsibility as Matthew 28 would tell us is to go and tell there are individuals that need to know I pray this morning you leave knowing you're a disciple. I pray that you leave knowing and praying about who that one is that you would begin to invest in this year to see them become a disciple of Jesus, to begin to sit at his table and to begin to do the work of his kingdom 
going and telling others. I mean, can you imagine if each and every one of us in a year's time led one person to Jesus, told one person about Jesus, discipled one person to walk in a confident life of being a disciple of the greatest rabbi who ever lived? Imagine what it would do to our church. Imagine what it would do to our community. Imagine what it would do to your family if maybe that one was somebody in your own household. I pray this morning as we pray and then we're going to sing just a little bit that we will be confident of God's faithfulness not only to call us but then to use us for what He's called us to. Church, we serve a good God, a good faithful God who wants to see each and every one of us and the people around us walk in the confidence of this faithful God. To be a disciple of the greatest rabbi who ever lived and live in that life. Let's bow our heads this morning and let's pray to you. Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for the confidence that we can walk and live in as your children, knowing that it's not through our own talents and abilities that you've given us a calling. God, you've given us a confidence to walk in, to step in, to do what you've called us to do. God, I pray this morning, God, that for too often we want to stay, we want to live in the come and see phases of our life as disciples, God, but I pray so confidently, God, that we would begin to walk and live as your disciples, as your people. God, I pray that right now that every individual in here, whether they're a, 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 an older kid, God, or an adult here, an individual, God, that they would be praying constantly and consistently. First off, are they a disciple? Have they kneeled down at the feet of the rabbi? And secondly, who is that one? Who is that one that they can begin to share the gospel with? Who is that one that they can start to, to embrace and invest in and see the work of Jesus work in their life? God, I pray that as we sing this morning, we would just be reminded constantly of your faithfulness and begin to step and walk in your goodness. God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, stand with us.